Hi, it's David Aber with the Customer Experience Advantage podcast. You know, in a changing world with new challenges brought about by pandemics and an aging population and dramatically changing customer expectations, there's no shortage of problems to solve and certainly no shortage of creative ideas. My guest today makes a compelling case for a lack of effective strategies to solve them. We're talking about the elusive entrepreneurial mindset and fortitude and what we need to effectively navigate the fourth industrial revolution. Get ready for a fascinating conversation with Dr. Arlen Myers, president and co-founder of the Society of Physician Entrepreneurs. It's the Customer Experience Advantage podcast back in 20 seconds. You're listening to the Customer Experience Advantage podcast with David Averin. Featuring candid conversations with some of the most influential leaders in business today. Sit back and listen in, or feel free to watch the video version online. This is the Customer Experience Advantage podcast, and here's David Averin. And welcome to the Customer Experience Advantage podcast. Great show today. We're going to talk a little bit about the entrepreneurial journey. Now, I know a lot of the listeners, a lot of the viewers uh, have businesses and are on that journey, but there's a lot of landmines along the road. Now, there's certain subcategories of entrepreneurs within different industries and fintech and others as well. But one that I find really fascinating, this sort of goes back to my roots in working in healthcare. Not a doctor, but I played one on TV. I think my mother would have been thrilled. But no, I was the PR guy. I was a marketing guy working in hospitals and others as well. But being around that, that environment, there is no shortage of really, really smart people. I would argue there are few environments that are more populated by really, really brilliant people. But it's a different mindset for those who are actually entrepreneurs or those who are successful entrepreneurs. I think everybody thinks that they've got a great idea. A lot of people, countless people said they have a book in them, but never really bring that to fruition. So I'm excited to talk to, to Dr. Arlen Myers, who founded, co-founded an organization called the Society of Physician Entrepreneurs. And they've taken as their mission to sort of tackle that challenge. How do we increase the odds of those with great ideas to be able to bring those to market. Um, before I introduce him, let me sort of give a more formal introduction. Dr. Arlen Myers is a retired professor of otolaryngology, dentistry, engineering at the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus. I know he was a cranial facial plastic surgeon and part of the, the, uh, the team there. Uh, he is co-founded several medical device companies, also co-founder of a medical tourism company. He is the president and CEO of the Society of Physician Entrepreneurs and also the author of the Healthcare Innovation Roadmap and Digital Healthcare, um, uh, Digital Healthcare Entrepreneurship, newer book as well, Dr. Myers. Thanks and welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Good to see you again. Absolutely. We actually go back 30 years or so back in my in my youth, and I will definitely say my youth, my brash, unbridled youth, a little more seasoned, I think we might say. So it's kind of fun to, to reconnect with people that we knew earlier on. But, but it's also been interesting to watch Dr. Meyer's journey as well, from uh, a top-notch physician, a professor at the university, to somebody who's really more than dipped their toe into entrepreneurship. So tell us a little bit about your journey and what brought you to where you are now. And then I want to talk about sort of how that pertains to um, what are some of the broader lessons for other industries as well? Sure. Um, so thanks again for having me. Um, so the short version is, as you stated, I went through a fairly, I grew up in uh, inner city Philly, 
uh, went through a fairly traditional medical uh, curriculum. I mean, a medical uh, career at medical school, did my residency, and then eventually I got recruited to the University of Colorado to be a assistant professor. And that's where we met. Uh, my first job was at Denver Health, which was an inner city. It still is a very well-respected uh, safety net hospital. So anyway, uh, long story short, I wound up uh, going to the University of Colorado and through that academic career, which lasted about 40 years, um, uh, myself and several other people invented a gadget. And we invented and the gadget because I'm a head and neck surgeon uh, and dealt with oral cancer was a device to optically detect cancer. So just think of it like a, a Geiger counter for cancer. And without going through all the gory details of the, you know, the features and all that, what that experience and, and commercializing or attempting to, to do something with that was painful. And I was clueless. I mean, I was just like every other academic who was, you know, research, education, patient care, the usual stuff. But when I said, okay, we got this thing now, what do we do with it? It taught me a lot of lessons. One was everybody in a white coat thinks they have a good idea. Two, most of those ideas are terrible. And from a commercialization, I mean, they're just not gonna fly. Because right. they, but they, they may to their credit have medical benefit and benefit someone, but not necessarily commercial application, or at least not a profitable one. Right. And I'm not, I'm not saying that we shouldn't do basic research, but I'm saying you can't, I mean, commercialization is not about doing science projects. It's, it's something else. It's a different mindset. And third, even if you had a good idea, then you wouldn't know what to do with it. I mean, you were totally clueless because it's not something that we teach to this day. Right. In the business of medicine or commercialization, which is one of our missions we're trying to change. And finally, um, you're, you're not going to be taught that in, in medical school or in residency. So you have an idea, you don't know what to do with it, nobody's going to teach you what to do with it. And one of my sayings is that I think it's cruel and unusual punishment to talk about paying doctors for value and not give them the tools to create it. That just doesn't make sense to me. So we looked around, we meaning several of us looked around and said, well, if the medical schools aren't gonna do it, if the residencies aren't gonna do it, if medical associations aren't gonna do it, then I guess we're gonna have to do it. So we did. And in 2011, so we're working on 10 years now, we created a global nonprofit biomedical and clinical innovation and entrepreneurship network that is open. We can talk about that too. And our mission is to help our members get their ideas to patients. And we, we have an international chapter network. I say we're a cross between Rotary and Match.com. Okay. We have these, like, these little nonprofit chapters and we're basically a dating service. So if you have an idea and you don't know what to do with it, we connect you to someone who can help you do something with it. Like you, I have a right. branding problem or a marketing problem or an SEO problem or whatever. Then I need somebody that knows how to do that stuff. And that's why it's open. Anybody can join us because another uh, observation is that sick care, and I call it sick care because it isn't healthcare. Right. It's, it's a, we both know it's a dysfunctional system of systems. It's a sick care system of systems that is sick. 
and we spend 96% of a $3.8 trillion budget on taking care of sick people, not making them healthy, not chronic disease management, not wellness. So one of the overriding goals would be to transform sick care to healthcare through the deployment of innovation. Right, but let's talk about making the connection between a problem-solving mindset, or maybe even to an extent an entrepreneurial mindset, a designated problem, a creative or unique solution, and, and a business mindset that actually helps somebody monetize that. Because you and I both know that people who come up with great ideas think they have, by and large, created a cure for cancer that tastes like chocolate. Like people have but to know that we exist and they will come flocking, right? We go back to you know the right. early admonition of, right, you build a better mousetrap and the world will beat a path to your door. It doesn't happen anymore. Now you got a warehouse full of mousetraps, somebody overseas trying to knock them off for five cents on the dollar. So how do you infuse or educate those who are, I mean, it's ignorance on fire, isn't it? I mean, they're so excited about their idea, but it kind of blinds them sometimes to the reality of what the business marketplace demands. So um, it starts with a couple things. Number one, you have to agree, you have, we have to agree on the goal and the definition. So what is entrepreneurship? And you and I both know, you ask 100 people, you get 100 different answers. Sure. What is innovation? 100 different answers. What is value? 100 different answers. What is success? 100 right. different answers. Right. Yes. So here's mine. So my definition is that physician entrepreneurship or healthcare, when I say physician, I mean any healthcare professional. Sure. Um, healthcare entrepreneurship is the pursuit of opportunity under VUCA, volatile, uncertain, complex, ambiguous conditions. With the goal, and this is the headline, of creating user-defined value through the deployment of innovation using a viable or what I call a vast business model. Valid, automatic, scalable, time-sensitive. Now, if that's the definition, that's the goal. Create user-defined value through the deployment of innovation. Number one, every physician and health professional in the world has the potential, underlying potential, to have to be an, a, a healthcare entrepreneur. Um, but in my observation, only one percent, and that's a back of an envelope. Don't ask me to prove it. Have an entrepreneurial mindset, because innovation starts with mindset, not personality. Mindset, not character. Mindset. So what does mindset mean? Mindset means your view of the world, your worldview. How do you see things? What lenses are you looking through? And there's a difference between the clinical and research mindset and the entrepreneurial mindset. Right. Now, it turns out that when you overlap those two circles, the spot where they overlap is what I call the clinical business mindset. And the reason there's only 1% in my view of health professionals that have that mindset is because that's not how we get chosen to be doctors, to be engineers, to be scientists. We get chosen to do that, and I do it. I mean, I got accepted to medical school like most of my peers and to this day, 
because I can memorize a bunch of stuff. I could take a standardized test. I knew exactly what to say at the interview. And oh, by the way, I had no idea how to interview and the person who was interviewing me had no idea how to interview. So I said exactly what I thought that person needed me to say. I mimicked their body language and listened to all folks like you how to interview. And I got in. Well, then when you get there, it's a culture of conformity. It is not a culture of creativity. So why is anyone surprised that doctors don't have an entrepreneurial mindset by them? So let me ask you this, is, is your admonition then to, or, or your intent to discourage too many because of the likelihood of failure or the likelihood of wasting time or years or dollars, or is it to find the right subsection of those people and educate them and guide them and connect them to the right opportunities? Because not everybody should be an entrepreneur. Not everybody with right. a great idea is a great business person as well. Correct. So uh, like when I was a surgeon, and I am a surgeon, I guess it's like being a Marine or whatever, not a surgeon. Anymore. Sure. So anyway, um, when I was in, at full-time academics, my job uh, was to train educate and train uh, medical students and residents and all these other people, specifically in ear, nose and throat surgery and plastics and the other stuff. But I can't train, I can't make someone a surgeon. I can teach them how to do surgery. Surgeons come self-selected, medical students self-select that that's what they wanna do when they grow up and every other specialty. Sure. It's, it's an interesting conversation. Why? But that's a subject of another discussion, but they do. And it's actually a very efficient mechanism. Very few medical students who go into a residency say, ear, nose, and throat? Really? I want to be a psychiatrist. That, that generally doesn't happen. You self-select. So my point is, when you get to me, my job is to create a fertile field and provide you with the resources you need to practice independently. That was my job. That's what happens with entrepreneurship. So to your question, do we need to train more entrepreneurs? I can't make someone into an entrepreneur. They, if you have the mindset, if you have the wherewithal, if you are what I call an innerpreneur in healthcare, because right now, if you show up at your medical school interview and you say, you know what, I don't want to be a doctor. I just want the MD after my name so I can create a company. You think you're going to get in? Right. No. So you have to hide it. And medical students aren't stupid. They know this. So they hide their innerpreneur until they get to a point where depending on the culture of where they wind up, another piece of advice I give people is innovate your heart out. Just don't tell anybody you're doing it. Because if you do in a culture of constraint and conformity, you're going to get your head handed to you. Right. Now, that's a problem. We have a culture of medical education that, despite all the noise and the flapping lips, doesn't deliver. Well, let's, well, let's talk beyond healthcare because. Uh, an entrepreneur is an entrepreneur, and it's certainly you work within that particular sandbox. But like example, my, my 17, almost 18-year-old son, he wants to be an entrepreneur, and translation in his mind, he wants to be rich. 
So he's watching every YouTube video on get rich quick schemes, non-fungible tokens, um, cryptocurrencies, everything else. Right. Right. But he, in his mind, he's got a very clear view of the end. Right. It's the process. And, and, and as you said, in terms of medical students, not only do they have a desire to, to be a doctor, but they understand the roadmap to get there. They've got, you know, very few of them are going to wash out because they know what it's going to take to do that from an entrepreneurial perspective. They're they're clueless. They're excited. They're they have enough people around them who are telling them what they want to hear. Um, wow, that 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 barbecue sauce is unbelievable. You got to take that right. to market, right? Without understanding the context. So take me through a little bit of that entrepreneurial roadmap, broadly right. beyond healthcare. Right. What do they need to know to get to where they're they're where, right. so, And what's different today than twenty years ago? All right. So if I'm giving advice to your son and we're sitting down there and he's saying, "Hey, Arlen, what do you think?" Here's what I'm telling them. Number one, this business about start with the end in mind, I believe is a myth. I'm sorry, Covey. I think it's a myth because in, and particularly in this day and age, and particularly in entrepreneurship, what you think the end is, is probably not going to happen. Life is not linear. It's chaotic. Yep. And you, it's opportunistic. And you just never know what's going to come your way how you're going to respond, what turn you're going to make, who you're going to meet, stuff happens. And the likelihood that you're going to wind up as a 17-year-old with your vision of success as a 40-year-old is slim to none. Love it. Yep. So I think you should start with the why in mind. Why are you doing this? What is it that is motivating you? And my suggestion is another little phrase. You make it personal, but you don't take it personally. In other words, to be a successful entrepreneur, people say, well, who would you pick to be on your team? The person with the longest failure resume. Why? Because they're still in the game despite all the failures. Why? Because they have this voice inside their head telling them to keep doing this. Now, where does that voice come from? Who knows? a bad parent, a bad experience, a frustration with something. And in my case, I was frustrated, angry, and seeking revenge over a commercialization system that was clearly and still is in a lot of ways dysfunctional. So that's what's motivating. Plus, there's like all kinds of psychic demons and God knows right. what. And it's, it's, it's resilience, which is in short supply and not just for Generation right. Y or so you others have to, as well. Right. So in order to sustain you in this journey, wherever, and that's another part of the mindset, there is no destination. There's just the journey. And if you see a place to, to get on the exit ramp, fine, do it. But you're, you're probably going to pass a lot of those in the way. But you don't take it personally. In other words, particularly in bioscience and the stuff I do, the likelihood of you being successful is less than 5%. The less you're getting venture money, that's a joke. Right, and nobody gets venture money. Nobody gets venture money. And everybody talks. It's like playing basketball in your backyard and think you're going to get in the NBA. It's not going to happen unless you're extremely lucky. You live in the right place. You know the right people. You're connected, da-da-da-da. It's an inside game. So the likelihood of your getting money, particularly as a startup or seed funding, it's ridiculous. So just don't even think about it so until it's the right time to think about right. it. Sure. You're lucky it is. So that's what I'm saying. You're going to fail. Don't take it personally. It's part of the drill. 
get up, dust yourself off. And the bottom line, um, you, prop, you, you need to know when to hold them and fold them and to walk and know when to run, but you don't give up on yourself. You give up on the idea. Nice. You could nice. give up on the business, but you don't give up on yourself. Nice. I like that. Um, I, I want to go back and talk a little bit about the why, because there's a lot of conversation. You get the Simon Sinek's of the world right. and others of it's about your why, but there's a whole different school of thought because customers, and I, this is contrarian to what a lot of what's being espoused. I don't think customers care about your why. I think they care about their why. And I think part of the disconnect, your why is what gets you up in the morning. Your why is your resilience and keeps right. you going. But their why is why they buy. And there is right. a disconnect between great ideas and being able to commercialize and monetize and bring those to market. Right. So tell me about your learning and part of your teaching within the Physician Entrepreneur Group as well right. about, about connecting to customer B2B or B2C to right. their motivations so that, that, that it can be a profitable venture. Right. So one of the biggest differences between bioscience, bioscience and clinical mindset and the entrepreneurial mindset is the, the, what I tell people is you need to be a problem seeker, not a problem solver. It starts with, with understanding the customer, understanding the jobs, pains, and gains, understanding the pain, understanding empathy, idea, you know, uh, design thinking, all, all of that stuff, bio design programs, they all start with getting into the head of the person you think is your customer. And, the, and that's a big problem because doctors, engineers, and scientists are motivated to come and paid to get grants and contracts for coming up with solutions, not identifying problems. So it's understandable. That's the way the system is built. But to make that transition is a tough road for most people. They, they, they can't change their mindset. Right. So, so what is the answer? Is the answer having an advisory board, informal or otherwise, that's not made up of your friends, of people who are going to tell you the truth? Because there is no shortage of solutions looking for a problem. I saw a commercial for there's something called Fit Vegetable Spray. It's supposed to help you get your vegetables. You know what? It, it, there's, that's, I have no problem getting my vegetables clean. I'm not buying it, literally or otherwise. Right. Right. And so many people have these just great ideas. And you see them going on Shark Tank. I think that's a great right. education for a lot of people. But, um, but how, do you, how do you create a sounding board without being, oh, let me put it this way. Um, there's also a lot of advice about don't listen to the naysayers, believe in your dreams. And in some right. cases, we should listen to our naysayers, shouldn't we? Well, I get hired and fired to tell truth to authority. So, and I've been fired a lot. And, and, and you know, that's what I do. That's why supposedly, if you're gonna hire me as an advisor or you're gonna want my advice, then listen to it. It's, right. it's like a primary care doc asking for a consultation from me for an ear, nose, and throat problem and saying, eh, I don't think I want to do that. I mean, what, why'd you ask me? Yeah. So, so that it's the same kind of deal. And I think that um, uh, you need to hire the, so one, you need to, if you're a physician, particularly, you need to come down off the mountain. In other words, you don't know what you don't know about business. 
So if, if you're willing to accept that, great. It's a good start. You know, the first thing in solving a problem is admitting you have it. So the problem is you don't know what you don't know. I'm here to help you understand what you don't know and help you along a personal and professional development journey so you can fill in the gaps. So you get to a gap analysis, knowledge, skills, abilities, competencies, resources, all that. Once you do that, then the next step is you got to fill the team. So you got because th that's another myth, you know, this solo rogue entrepreneur taking big risks. That's right. nonsense. We both know that it's a it's a contact team sport. So you have to fill the skill positions and the skill positions on a startup team, for example, are, yes, you need a problem seeker. That's typically marketing, market research, all that stuff, building the brand, all that stuff. Then you need a technopreneur. You need someone to create a solution that satisfies product market fit. Then, so you have a problem seeker, you have a problem solver, you have a business builder because most of these folks don't know how to build a business. Right. You need, to your point and what you do for a living, a storyteller. I don't need to tell you because that's what you do. You're, it's all about telling the story. And if you don't know how to do that or you have terrible skills in communication, you need somebody to tell the story. You know, this is all this business about story branding and telling the story and who's the hero and all that business. You need a scorekeeper. You need an accountant or somebody who can keep score because you probably don't know squat about profit and loss and financial statements and finance and all that, let alone seeking an A round. I mean, you know that like a hole in it. So, and then you obviously need sales and marketing people to fill the funnel and deliver customers. So there, there's a lot of skilled positions that have to be filled. Now, the problem is when you're a startup, particularly in a doctor world where we think we know everything and why do I need these other people to do this and we're cheap and so why should I spend money doing it, hiring consultants and all this, then it just doesn't work. And right, then guess, and no, then I was guess gonna, yeah, go ahead. And then guess what, you fail. And you scratch your head and you say, gee, I'm smart. How come this didn't work? That's why. Two most important reasons why your startup will fail. One, no product market fit. You created a product no one wanted to buy. And two, your business model isn't viable. You can't make it up in volume. If you lose two cents on every unit, good luck. Right. You know, we, we used to say that there's nothing more annoying than a very educated person talking about something they're not educated about. <laughs> right. And it's, and, and, but you get that. And so it, it is, it is a, it's, it's, it's a tough journey in terms of, of surrounding yourself with people who, who don't necessarily feed your ego, but tell you what you need to hear, but not everybody is right. And so it is, it is a process that weeds out most and few make it to, but, but those are people who check the boxes. Those are people who have the resilience, all the things you talked about. Let's shift gears for a second here. Talk to me a little bit about, about the fourth industrial revolution. Sure. We've, we've gone through so much, but we really are entering a new age. Now, some of it is, is manifest by what's happening right now. You and I talking remotely, we've learned what we can do, but the world is different and the world in the next 10 years is different. Talk to me a little bit about that. Right. Well, for those who are not familiar with the term, you know, the, the fourth industrial revolution describes what powers an economy in a given period of time. 
So for example, the first industrial revolution was basically powered by water. Streams, rivers, cities grew up, mills, all that stuff, steam engine, that kind of thing. Second was mass production and electricity, which happened you know, roughly around Ford in the early 1900s. The third was uh, computerization and sort of you know, personalization of computers, Macs and all that business. And now the fourth revolution is about uh, cyberspace and it's about connected data and information, basically big data, analytics, machine learning, artificial intelligence, you name it. All these things colliding. So if the cyber world is what is running this economy and powering this economy, what are the problems and opportunities we need to address? Now, in healthcare or in sick care, I say that um, there are, we went from a, a high touch to a high tech to now a high trust economy because the barriers to dissemination and implementation, for example, artificial intelligence, is really all about trust. It's like you, you set Google Maps and do you expect it to get you where you need, you're supposed to go? Or do you say, wait a minute, I, I've been this way before. I'm supposed to make a left, not a right. And you turn it off, you don't trust it anymore and you do whatever, you, you basically turn off the autopilot. Same thing with the 740, the airplane crashes where they, sure. the pilots didn't override the thing. They wound up in the ocean. So the same thing is happening with surgeons in the operating room. When, when do I override the AI because I don't trust it? And we're, we're in a high trust. So that's number one. Second, uh, I work in sick care, entrepreneurship, and, and uh, education. And to me, the, what, what COVID has revealed and exacerbated is that you only get so far with virtual high-tech interventions. Those right. are high-touch, high-trust occupations. And just ask all the students around, the, you know, now they're saying a lost generation, a dropped year of whatever. It just doesn't work for most people. It's a, because teachers matter. Doctors matter. Yep. Mentors matter. And that is a person-to-person -person interaction. It's probably the most, and oh, by the way, probably the least valued but most respected aspect of medicine is clinical judgment. Not how good you are technically, not your decision-making capability or diagnostic abilities. It's your judgment. Do you do the right thing on the right patient at the right time? Not how do you do an operation? So it's the same thing, I think. And, and in my experience in education, in healthcare, in entrepreneurship, you got to be there. And that's what makes the difference. Talking to Dr. Arlen Myers, <clears throat> president of the Society for Physician Entrepreneurs. Uh, last thing here before we're done, give me a pull out the crystal ball. What, what have we seen? What has been accelerated right. during the pandemic? Um, that foretells our, our different world, our different life. And right. I'm not even going to say 10 years, 20 years from now. Give me five years from now. Give me three years from now. What are we going to see markedly well, I can, different? Yeah, I, I mean, strategic planning to me is what happens tomorrow. I mean, yeah. you, you, can't, you can't plan out five years. So, 
So I'll just give you the benefit of some of my experiences in the companies that I'm working on. The, the trends, you know, there's all kinds of trends and SWOT analysis, all that business, but basically what we're seeing in digital health and in health and sick care are uh, democratization, um, digitalization, and dissemination. So I call them the three Ds. So now these technologies, because of lots and lots of reasons, are disseminating and available all over the world on an iPhone. So that, that's kind of a headline trend. Of course, there are economic and demographic changes. An example, yesterday, the census department started revealing the results of the census, what yep. they find. U.S. growth in population is the lowest it's been since 1930. And, and people are getting older. They're not, women are not having children. The birth rates are dropping, creates all kinds of challenges and opportunities. Um, and so what you should be asking yourself is, so what? what how does that impact me as an entrepreneur? What, what, what does that mean in terms of, of how I'm going to do my business or my product or whatever? So I'm involved, and just to give you some examples, um, Artificial intelligence is all over the place. What I'm seeing is uh, uh, beginning to focus in the niches because when you look at big tech, I mean, they're the gorillas in the room. So if you're a startup in AI, you're trying to take on Amazon and Facebook, Google, blah, 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 good luck. So where do you find the niche? And I think what's happening is that uh, healthcare technology companies are starting to not boil the ocean not try to deal with an endless litany of use cases. I'm gonna do this for this patient, for this disease, and I'm gonna do it better than anybody else. And I'm gonna build it to buy so Amazon will ex I'll exit with Amazon or something like that. That's, sure. that's kind of what I'm seeing. And um, so I think those are the drivers. Another one that I'm working with is uh, what I call second opinion as a service company. So. And we can go into a long conversation about this, but the short version is um, second opinions are valuable to, to most people, but it depends on who you are and where the value is. Right. They're extreme. They're, they're, they're not equitably available. They're difficult to get. The person that you get, you don't know is the best. It's basically reputation driven, not data driven. And the business model is screwed up. So again, the two reasons you're going to fail, you make a product nobody wants to buy, and you don't have a viable business model. There you well, go. Well, in this case, I can remote patient monitoring, patient reported outcomes, second opinions, artificial intelligence applications, you name it. It's the same issue. It's the, they're the same problems. So how do you solve them? You make sure that when you develop this process, and there's multiple product development schemes, you know, Agile and Lead Canvas and sure. Customer Discovery, you got to be a problem seeker and understand the customer persona. Well put. What a fascinating conversation. It's one that uh, there's certainly more to talk about. I love the idea of talking about second opinions for those being able to bolster the internal skill sets of an organization, certainly on the entrepreneurial level where they can't necessarily afford them as a full-time one for so many who have had a success in business and are now, as we say, for those who've 
enjoyed some success, it's important to send the elevator back down as well. And I think what you do with the Society for Physician Entrepreneurs and mentoring a new generation of entrepreneurs, I think it's, if a, a, a fraction of the great ideas were able to come to market, the world could and will be a much better place. Big thanks to Dr. Arlen Myers for joining us. Hang on with me for a second. This podcast is sponsored in part by the Customer Experience Advantage Morning Huddle. You know, some of the most innovative solutions to your biggest customer-facing challenges are likely found within the creative minds of your own people. Let me contribute to your Morning Huddle conversation with your team. You can learn more about membership in this powerful global initiative by visiting CustomerExperienceAdvantage.com. All of my books are available on Amazon, including the acclaimed Why Customers Leave and How to Win Them Back. And my brand new book, it's here. I've been touting it for some time. It's called The Morning Huddle, Powerful Customer Experience Conversations to Wake You Up, Shake You Up, and Win More Business. It's about customer-centric conversations. It's 40 conversations. I think you'll like it. Be sure to click and like this podcast. Subscribe, leave your comments, really important, and click the little bell icon to receive notifications of new episodes. And you can learn more about my speaking, my keynote speaking, my consulting at davidaveron.com. Arlen Myers, of course, a great speaker, lecturer as well. And if people want to learn more about you or the Physician Society for Physician Entrepreneurs, how do they get in touch with you? www.sopenet.org. Okay, great. And I know membership is broad beyond just physicians, right. those yeah. who serve and ancillary services. Right. As well. You don't need to Look be a healthcare. Up. You don't need to be a healthcare professional. Yeah, look it up. It's fascinating. And they've got chapters across the country, all around the world. Uh, thanks for tuning in. This is the Customer Experience Advantage podcast. Check out my past episodes. Leave a comment. Big thanks to my guest, Dr. Arlen Myers. I'm David Avern. Be good. This has been the Customer Experience Advantage podcast with David Avrin. Feel free to leave a comment and be sure to hit the thumbs up button. You can listen to past episodes and be notified of future ones by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform. David's popular marketing and customer experience books are available in print, as well as Kindle and audiobook, and published in multiple languages around the world. You can stay connected and learn more at davidaverin.com. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.